0: Do you have trouble turning off your brain meat at night? I invite you to take a break from your thoughts and listen to ours for a while. This is Overthinking with Steph. Quit overthinking alone. Overthinking with Steph is better. We're overthinking together. Yep, that was stupid. Let's come up with a whole new intro. Oh, Steph. (laughs) Feels intrusive. I mean, all of it. It's like a robot arm in our faces (laughs)
1: like this. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh.
0: <laughs> Love songs on the coast. <laughs> I think I just took it down like an octave. I made it like a. Oh my gosh, do you sing? Oh no! You don't. I'm tone deaf, so I can't. do. Just, you just say that, or like in the shower you're belting it out, and you're actually basically Whitney Houston.
1: Well, so I do belt it out in the shower, but it's really bad. And um, what luckily, would my cats are the that? only one. Oh, she de- she's like you are the worst singer. No, like, she yeah, is. she she can she can confirm. So she
0: she
1: sings. She doesn't really sing. She plays uh, the piano, and she was like loves music and is into music. But neither of us have the best voices.
0: I remember singing around a piano at brand camp with her and that's the one of the first time but that was probably after a lot of like (laughs) beverages maybe this was years ago but everyone would sing and play she's so talented
1: she's so talented do you play music um, I don't, know. I'm not musically talented. You're like,
0: I play the radio? That's <laughs> yeah. about
1: it. Oh, yes. <laughs> I, so I sing to my cats, and sometimes I sing songs where I substitute my cats' names for, like, like in the Hamilton soundtrack, yeah. I'll sub my cats' names for, like, the Founding Fathers, and it's way better. <laughs> <laughs> it's really great.
0: Prince and... Toby. Toby. Toby's the newest. Ugh. Oh, he's yes. fresh. Oh. Well, he's probably now, like, a full cat, oh, not a they're kitten. they're so fat. Too really? like yeah. They're what do you full feed on. them? Um,
1: I think we overfeed them because we let them like graze throughout the day, which yeah. is a bad idea. And then, Amanda... Well, you give them like
0: dry cat food? Right? I don't know yeah. cats. I'm highly allergic, so oh, like yeah, I forgot about like, that. Oh yeah, I <laughs> <or laughs> <you were, laughs> had an asthma attack. You were, you were
1: like, no, it's cool. <laughs> You're like, it's cool, it's cool. Like the cat's really cute, and then.
0: <laughs> and i was even petting them your eyes are like swell i forgot about that your eyes were like i couldn't even open them and i don't think i even there are a couple times when i don't bring my inhaler and then i regret it because i i mean it's like someone's sitting on my chest and there's no escaping it but i love animals so much that i'll be like it's worth it and then it's not that was not worth it. i can't breathe for like a full day but I think I slept oh on your couch. Oh, yeah. And that's where the cats, like, hang out, too. So it was basically like they were sleeping on my face. You
1: tried to be so sweet about
0: it. I was like, they're was so really sweet. I think I can see them. My eyes are swollen shut. Um, how that's old's great. Toby now? Uh, this so whole podcast actually, is just about your cat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Surprise.
1: So, uh, so we we just celebrated Toby's um, adoption anniversary, <gasps> like, two days ago, which really? is amazing. Was it a year? Um, so, yeah, was- we've had Toby, I want to say... We've had Prince for uh, maybe we got Prince in 2017. So we're it was before up on Prince passed years. away, right? Um, oh, we, wait. Prince, we still have Prince with us. No,
0: There's not your Prince. Prince, oh, Prince. Prince, 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 <laughs> Prince. Oh my gosh! <laughs> no, it was <laughs> morbid. I'm like, so your cat's dead. <laughs> You're so, like, wait, I didn't even know. I've only been gone for 24 hours.
1: <laughs> it was post. It was post Prince passing. Yeah, it was okay. okay. Like the artist formerly known Yes.
0: Prince. <laughs> um, but i love that your go-to though is your cat and not the <laughs> prince though for sure for sure <laughs> Isn't, amanda has a prince tattoo right yeah
1: she's she's a, a real groupie yeah, yeah. I the love night that. that um so the day prince died i amanda texted me and i was kind of like oh wow like that's so sad and I didn't quite understand. I don't the think. impact it had. Yeah. Oh yeah. So it was a it was a late night. There I were feel lots like of like she posted
0: about it on Facebook for a good yeah. month. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but not. Um, I didn't mean a month. I meant like maybe a week. Oh, for sure a week I, at least. Yeah. I remember it like affecting it was her like a lot. We
1: we I say we because I'm her partner. Mm-hmm. So like you try to go there with somebody. Oh yeah. We were in deep mourning. Meet for, them where they're at for a solid week. Right. Yeah. But it made sense. Like, I don't think I fully understood at the moment because I don't feel that way about any, like, public figures. Right. Um, But it did make sense when we started kind of talking about the way, like, he, like, his songs had been this sort of, like, soundtrack to so many of these, like, big moments in her life. Right. And helped her feel, you know, understood and Mm -hmm. given her, like, language to articulate things that she right. couldn't quite articulate before
0: and like it's so universal yeah, it's and really relatable right Like, and there the you think about it and like in that moment when you're listening to a track and you feel all of these things and you think how many other people are feeling this to mm-hmm. the same song you know mm-hmm. you never know how much music unites people I love that so were you ever I didn't even introduce <laughs> you or anything we just started talking so, about your cats um I was going to say we have Julie Rogers, my friend in my loft. That's what I usually say, but we're not in my loft. We both traveled to New York City just to talk about our cats. Yes. <laughs> so you live in DC, right? Mm-hmm. But you're from Texas. Not Chicago. Wait, why do I always think you're from Chicago? Cause, I think cuz we met maybe when I was in Chicago. We did. Um, in Wheaton, but Oh yeah. It's yeah. it's crazy to say cuz how long did you live I'm in mostly Wheaton? from Dallas. Man, that's right. Like all my mischief.
1: Like uh, we moved to, uh, we moved to, so I was born in Tomball, Texas, which is a little outside of Houston. And then right before high school, we moved to the Dallas area. Yeah. And so I was in, I was in Dallas from like age 14 to like, I don't know, 27 or so.
0: That's so interesting. I've known you for years, but there it's we were just talking about how we haven't had time to just sit down mm-hmm. and talk about life. Yeah. We've always been at an event or your wedding. So true. Or a fiftieth birthday party yes. <laughs> for Wendy. Um so you didn't were you out at any point when you lived in Dallas? Oh yeah. Like you went to Sue's Okay, well,
1: no, I was out, <laughs> but not that kind of out. Um I I came out when I was 14 Mm -hmm. um, and I wait no 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 that was a lie (laughs) like I
0: just made that up for this podcast
1: (laughs) Uh, so I came out when I was 14 to a few people at my high school I came out to my mom on Valentine's Day of my junior year in high school okay and that's coming up in two days then we don't celebrate that anniversary because I ended up in conversion therapy like a week later so like I definitely, you know, a, I sometimes get a little nervous around like conversations around like coming out mm. and people saying, like, you know, share your truth. Like, because I really, really wish I had waited till I was out of my parents' house right. to come out. Yeah. And I think people intuitively know whether it's safe or not. And um, I was encouraged by really well meaning people to do that. Mm-hmm. And it was a bad idea. So, anyway. I came out to my mom on Valentine's Day, of my junior year in high school, and the reason I haven't spent much time in Sue Ellen's is because I spent like almost a decade somewhere. I like it's like kind of eight years, kind of ten years, Mm because like it's like leaving a relationship, right? Right. For that last few years, or like in and out, right? So I don't quite know whether, but about a decade, um, in a ministry uh, called Living Hope, which Mm. is in Arlington, Texas. Yeah, I spent like 10 years, you know, essentially trying to
0: become straight. And it sounds so welcoming. Living hope. I know. Too, right? Which is so misleading. I know. Did you have any idea? At 14, you're, you're a kid. You're so little. Did you have any idea what this meant when you were going into conversion? Was it called conversion so therapy? It wasn't called conversion therapy. And I think, I mean, I think that term is
1: a little bit problematic mm. because... Technically, it's not therapy. When right. you say when people say conversion therapy, like technically that is like a licensed professional therapist in an office, um, but it was the same principles that like reparative therapists would use, just mm-hmm. in a pastoral setting, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like meeting with a minister for pastoral counseling, and then like group meetings where we would share, you know, sort of like. It's, it's like group therapy, right mm-hmm. um so anyway i didn't i didn't know I didn't know what it was when I first went. I knew that essentially my mom after I came out like did lots of googling and mm-hmm. found out that there were other people like me mm-hmm. and essentially found somebody who she thought could help right. and i think I think that's what's so sad about this is like parents love their kids yeah it's not they mean well I think she she did what she thought was best Mm -hmm. and so she
0: takes me out of school early the next week and you keep saying she was your dad kind of so you hadn't come out to him yet or so my my mom told him when he got home Mm -hmm. and
1: my dad had a much better response to me um he was like you know I mean my mom was in full-blown meltdown mode and then My dad was like, he got home, he finds out, he goes to my room and he's like, hey, you want to like run to the store with me? Mm. So I'm like, cool. And we get in the car and he was like, so mom says you're gay. (laughs) And I was like, yeah. And he was like, basically, just remember that whatever happens, like your dad loves you no matter what.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: it was really, really tender and really... um, and at the same time um he kind of stood by silently mm-hmm. while my mom took me and sort of Spearheaded. I mean insisted the whole, yeah. that I go try to become straight and right. do this like do these programs um and so so, the, so my dad's a complicated figure in it, right? Because mm-hmm. it's like great that he just sort of affirmed his love, but right. it have been really great if he could have like helped that not happen. Yeah, uh, it was like as a, an adult. Was it know. like
0: where you knew you could lean on him if you needed to, but he wasn't really vocal? Or, I, yeah. well, how would you kind of describe you that? Know, I guess he,
1: we we he never we never really talked about it. That's um, how
0: my my dad was. Like yeah. I came out, and then I don't think he's ever acknowledged it or said anything since. But definitely didn't show support. It was just like, well, okay, and disappointment. Yeah, but no talk of it. And that mm-hmm. was over a decade ago. I was 24. Wow. Yeah, but I'm like, at what point do you you say something? Because I think that's part of the reason why this podcast exists. And I keep saying that is, even if we're having some type of conversation, it will impact someone say Mm -hmm. something initiate conversations have open dialogue we're all like my I'll be 37 this year I'm an adult you know like I never feel like When I go home to my parents' house, and I don't anymore, but when I did, it's like I immediately morphed into this child, you know? Mm, Yeah. Right? You like immediately become 12, even though you're a grown-ass woman with like, you know, and like, what is that, right? But uh, that therapy has definitely helped. Boundaries, learning about the word codependency and religious trauma and religious abuse. And I would have never had that had I not gone to therapy as an adult. But it's almost like you're starting over at a late age for me because I came out later in my 20s. But then it's like unlearning all of this stuff I was taught or how to react or who to be and realize that I can create myself now. But I'm also doing this when I'm in my 30s, right?
1: Yeah, it takes I think it takes separation to be able to go back into that kind of environment if we do Mm. Um, as our... As our whole selves, Mm -hmm. you know, as peers. Exactly. Like, who who are not, have nothing to be ashamed of. Right. And are not going to be reprimanded for the fact that we exist in the bodies we do.
0: Exactly. The super
1: weird thing about not talking about it, too, is, like, this is not, like, oh, you know, we're working at this company. Mm -hmm. This is, like, involves our, like, our relationships, who we share our lives with. Right. The people... We love the people we crush on. Like this is exactly this touches on everything about our lives, right? And so, and then also, like we can be fired from jobs because we're gay. Like this, this is kind of a big deal. So to not talk about it, like how can you even know somebody if you're not willing to engage with this right. fundamental part of? And I know who they so are?
0: many friends who are able to go home over the holidays or or just go visit their families, and just exist with them without ever having those conversations. And I can't, I can't do that personally. It's triggering for me Yeah. and my family knows in order for me to be in their lives, we have to have some hard talks and they'll never do it. They're not capable of doing it. Same, same, same. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, maybe one day I'll be able to exist with them. And you know, it's just, there was so much sweeping under the rug my entire life that it's, the, that rug is, <laughs> a, it's a mountain, you know, and there's only so much you can keep sweeping under <laughs> yeah. things before you got to get a new rug and then like, what the heck, <laughs> yeah. right? But I'm, it sounds like you've, well, I, let's go back, but okay, I also yeah. want to know where you're at with your, your family now, but.
1: Yeah, let's... you know, so once I was in a relationship with Amanda mm-hmm. and I think before we got engaged, I told my family about her and kind of continued to like send email updates mm-hmm. about like my gayness right and my relationship and things like that and they just didn't engage mm-hmm. really they, they weren't weren't responsive and but you
0: continued to just give them updates like yeah, updates and, like yeah
1: if you ever want to meet her like we would love to right you know, i would love for you to meet her like and this was
0: only like a four years ago then yeah right because yeah. i met you yep around when you started dating amanda yeah oh wow that's crazy yeah
1: Um, And so, you know, by the time it was like, I quit going home for holidays. Mm -hmm. I feel like for me to come home, it would be like, I'm off at college. Mm. If I come home by myself um, and don't get to like, bring my wife, I'm I'm building a life. I have a family. And if you're not able to meet her, then I don't think we can, you know, right i can't come home <laughs> i think i don't so, know how
0: your upbringing was but i was very good at being a chameleon i blended mm-hmm. in with everything i t- did what i was told but got really good at not just people pleasing but compartmentalizing yeah. our lives Absolutely. you know and <laughs> when coming out you feel like damned if you do damned if you do, don't kind of because you're like oh i'm living this lie but it feels so like you For me, I kept it to myself for so long, but I think I was almost in denial. Mm -hmm. Um, But you feel like, okay, I'm doing something that everyone is considering. um, It's worthy of hell, you know, but I have to keep it. I have to lie about myself and I can't be true to myself, but because there was, and then you just live in this middle ground that just feels gross, you know, but, um, all of that to say compartmentalizing like our lives and yeah and yeah sure you can go home without Amanda yeah. but what is and then we can talk mean? about it we can right I'm just
1: like I'm married exactly I have a wife right like we have a family yep two adorable cats yes and I can't go home and like not talk about her yeah like what would we talk about right <laughs> um and so so I've just kind of Tried to continually... They're really good people, and I know... I met
0: your dad. Yeah, right? so, so... Okay,
1: so my dad, about a month before our wedding... Mm-hmm. So this is when Amanda and I have been together for three years. Yep. My dad decided, like, I want to meet who my daughter's marrying, right? Mm-hmm. And so he got in his Honda Civic in Dallas, Texas, oh. and drove all the way up to D.C. Oh my to spend a week with us. And it was really it was really, really great. You know, it was right. really, I think it was healing for him in many ways mm-hmm. and gave, so, sort of showed him he needed to come out in different ways, right? Yeah. Like there were ways he wasn't being his, yeah. like, full self. And he felt like he could show up as his whole self with us. And so, um, so, at the beginning of that week, I was, like, asking if he would come to the wedding and he was like, I just, I can't, I right. can't do that. And I think it's probably more about my mom and my brothers, mm-hmm. you know, wanting to not ruffle feathers. Right. And then by the end of that week, he said he was going to come to the wedding. And so he did. And it's, um, you know, I mean, I think, I think we all kind of want to have these redemption stories and like, yay, <laughs> like everything's great now. Yep. And I'm I love, I'm so thankful for the ways that he's moved. And I know mm. that takes so much courage. And it's still complicated, you yep. know. Like we, we still had that whole 15 years of... Right. Um, yeah where but I, I don't know it's so it's complicated um but it's also it's really i think what was really moving to me was to see that you know at the age of seventy five years old people can change right how how hard it was and how much courage it took, and I don't know it's really it's really really sweet.
0: I was talking with one of my other guests on podcast and saying how it is it is very nice to see movies and shows that kind of wrap it up in a nice bow at the end where everyone comes together and hugs like we all want that for yeah. our lives but that doesn't always happen. You yeah. know, maybe your dad being 75 and coming around, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes it does happen, but at what point do you kind of just put up a boundary and mm-hmm. say, you know, this I need to come to terms Um, with the fact that maybe my mom and my dad will never come around and I have to continue my life and live a damn good life, right? Without being so focused on, you know, putting in this effort into a relationship that might never be there. And I love my parents dearly, but at this point, it's like, I don't think they'll come around. And I'm I'm okay where I'm at now, but that's taking a lot of work. But and you have to
1: build your family.
0: Exactly. Like, this
1: is We do this. Like I feel like the queer community crushes chosen family. Yeah, we and, do. And it's people who keep choosing to show up for each other. Right. And I think that we have to cultivate that and nurture that wherever we find it. Mm-hmm. And if that doesn't happen with our family of origin, there's a lot to grieve there. There's a lot to process in therapy. And mm-hmm. we can move on and yeah. be okay. And we do not need to feel guilty about that.
0: So your dad came to the wedding. Um I would like to touch on if you're okay with like where you're at with your mom now and then go back into the history of totally. it. Totally. Yeah. So my mom,
1: she's, gosh, it's so complicated, right? She loves me so much. Mm-hmm. My mom occasionally will send me little gifts for our cats. She sent me socks yep. that say Prince, that are the brand Prince yep. because they're my cat's name, you yep. know? And like trying to show these little signs of like... Of love. And at the same time, she really believes that we are choosing a sinful lifestyle. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: She continues to donate lots of money to Living Hope, you know, the conversion therapy organization I was in. She, I think she feels like if she were to engage with me and Amanda together, that she would be supporting a sinful lifestyle and sort of complicit in that sin. Right. And... So I, in many ways, I blame, I blame the people who have taught her that. I blame Jerry Falwell Mm -hmm. and James Dobson and all these, these leaders that she looked to for moral guidance who told her that the way to love her gay kid was to reject them. And she's trying to love me. (laughs) Right. And I don't know how all of that works together Mm -hmm. in her mind, but... Hard and sad.
0: It's a process that, I mean, I can't can't imagine because I know that I have personally never been through conversion therapy because I did come out right as I was kind of exiting, living with my parents and um, moved shortly after that and got away from everything. But when you come out at such a young age and you're kind of in the thick of it and you have no no choice but to do what your parents tell you to do yeah. and I don't know what kind of I mean you're 14 what kind of what was your state of mind at that point were you like I want to change you know or any I'll do yeah. anything to like what were so, your thoughts
1: so I was 16 when I came out to my mom okay. which is when she took me and basically so my very initial response was like like, screw that. Yeah. I am absolutely not doing that. There's, I'm, I'm gay. Yeah. This is perfectly fine. Yep. The problem is with you all. Right. The problem so you is were not in, in here. Okay. Yeah, I was just like, this is, like, I just knew. Yeah. Like, I knew deep in my heart I loved Jesus. Mm-hmm. I knew God loved me. Yep. And I thought they needed to figure it out. You know, they needed to figure right. their stuff out. And um, so she took me to meet with Ricky Chalette, who's the executive director of Living Hope. And I was, you know, he kind of goes through his whole theory about how we end up with same-sex attractions, and it's, yeah, it's sort of typical reparative therapy talking points. And when he got to the end of it, and he was like, what do you think? I was like, I think this is horseshit. (laughs) I'm fine. Like, I really, like, I think this is really bad and not true, and I'm not, I'm not here for it, Mm -hmm. right? And... Then the next week I was back. Mm. You know? And I think I think looking back, like for those first several months when I didn't I didn't want to go, I was sixteen years old and my options were to drive to Oaklawn and show up at an LGBT resource center mm-hmm. with my backpack. Yep. And leave the only life I had ever known. Exactly. Or try to become straight. Mm-hmm those were my two options. Yeah. And like, I did not have the courage to leave. I couldn't have done it. And so I, I started meeting with Ricky and honestly, I really liked him. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I really liked that. I felt like he saw me. I feel like he's a pastor, right? Like, I feel like he, he was nurturing in many ways and it was nice to have somebody to talk to, about my feelings and somebody who was interested in what was going on. And I could talk about crushes, you know, I was finally getting to share about my, my gayness. Mm -hmm. And so after the first few months of sort of rebellion around it, I went to my first Exodus conference that summer. So I'd been meeting with Ricky for about five months, six months, go to Exodus conference. So you're like
0: 17, 17. Yeah.
1: And, um, at that Exodus conference, I met other people from the living hope message boards
0: Mm -hmm. and they were like, Really, really cool. Can you just explain what for people who don't know what Exodus International is, just really quick? So
1: Exodus International was the largest organization in the world that promoted uh, freedom from homosexuality through Jesus Christ, Mm -hmm. and they were essentially a umbrella ministry that had like a hundred over, like somewhere around one hundred fifty local organizations all over the world on the ground, like Living Hope. So there was like a relationship between the two. Right. Um, And so, but they did these big conferences every year. And we all traveled together as a group with Living Hope to this conference. And Living Hope has these um, online forums with over 5,000 people from all over the world. And so I had been interacting with some of them online. And when I met them, I was like, these are the coolest people, right? They're in college, they're Mm -hmm. in their early 20s and they were like me it was the first group of people i had ever met that were just like super gay right even if we called it same sex attractions mm-hmm. and loved jesus and wanted to be good mm-hmm. you know like we were so earnest and so when i met those people i felt this sense of belonging and it was at that conference that i decided like i want to do this yep. like i want to give my heart to jesus mm-hmm. which like in that setting meant do the whole process, right? Yep. And I devoted myself wholeheartedly to that process. And when I came back, my mom was so proud of me, you know, and there was such peace in the home. Yep. And I felt like there was a path for me to be good.
0: Wow. How long were you in Exodus then? Or were you attending? So I was 17 at that point,
1: and I did not... Um, so unfortunately what happened was, um, a few months after the Exodus conference, Ricky asked me to give my testimony mm-hmm. at their donor banquet. So I was a senior in high school at that point. Uh, I did not have an ex-gay testimony. Yeah. I was like, I don't know what that is. Right. And he was like, I'll help you write it. <laughs> so we write together this story, uh, that basically like sort of illustrated their talking points. Right. Yeah. And. Yeah. I believed it, mm-hmm. right? Like, if somebody narrates your life story to you, there's a way in which that makes sense. You yeah. make, It makes sense of your life. And you can do so many things with the same set of facts yeah. about about your life. And so um, I bought it. And I was like, yeah, I think this is what's going on. I think I had these faulty relationships with my mom and dad. And mm-hmm. so what I need to do is, like, embrace my femininity. And as I do that, I'll begin to be drawn toward the mystery of men. Mm-hmm. You know, and, like, I was wow. all in. so. I start sharing my testimony. It was super well received. And so Ricky starts like taking me with him everywhere he goes to speak. Yeah. Like I would give my testimony and then he would do his little talk and we right. made this like, you know. Because uh, you were
0: like the success story, right? Totally. I and
1: I think, you know, I never I never said that I was like healed, mm-hmm. but I was a success in the fact that like I was so devoted and I was saying no. Mm-hmm. The, the way I would have worded it is I'm saying no to my flesh. Yep. I'm saying no to my, you know, my sexuality, and I'm saying yes to Jesus. And that was a really compelling message for people. That was like a successful testimony. I didn't know at that point that you can't like suppress one part of yourself right. without suppressing lots of other things, and it leads to a fragmented self that yeah. eventually implodes. But wow. at that time, that's that's what I was doing, and it, it provided a sense of identity and community for me mm-hmm. that um, it wasn't until later that I started realizing – how damaging it was like mm. I was I was engaged in self-harm too right like right. so but I thought oh I'm engaged in self-harm because like I I recently gave into my flesh and masturbated exactly you know what I mean it's like no yeah like, I'm burning my body because of this super toxic teaching that makes me hate myself right and so anyway oh I was a part of it in that weird capacity where I was like a poster child slash participant and I think that complicated things. But were you able
0: to talk about what you just said with Ricky? Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
1: And they did not the they always thought that anytime we like a destructive pattern that you would see would be we would come sort of deny, 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 and then go have like binge sex or something. Right. Like really high risk. Yeah. Unhealthy, you know. And we would come back and repent. Mm-hmm. And there would always be grace. Mm-hmm. And we would go back into the this process and the cycle. And, like, they didn't see the how problematic it was that that was how our sexuality was expressed. And that yeah. we couldn't just be like, hey, I'm starting to have these feelings for my friend. And we held hands. Like, right. that would be choosing a lifestyle of sin. Mm. But it was totally normal to go have, like, bench sex and then come talk oh, about how so terrible and gross our bodies yeah. are and how awful we are and repent. And so, anyway... The way that they would see that is like, wow, you really had a fall. Like, you Mm -hmm. really are struggling and, you know, the flesh is weak. And it wasn't like we're just setting you up for a disastrous um, emotional, relational life.
0: Right. Oh, my gosh. So what was your... When did Exodus International cease to exist? And what's your involvement there?
1: So that was kind of are kind we of fast forwarding thing. too much between no, like that no then- what? Well, so what happened so what happened was because I was giving my testimony with Living Hope eventually like somehow somebody from Exodus heard me and was like oh will you give your you know will you start doing some of that with us wow so I was like um I started I guess around the age of 24 oh
0: my gosh
1: uh doing the testimony at some Exodus conferences mm-hmm. and it wasn't until – so that was also around the time. I'm out of college by that point. I'm like, wait a second. I'm still super gay. Mm-hmm. And I started running into old friends who had left Living Hope who were in really, really rough places. And mm-hmm. I was starting to see, like, oh, this is actually really damaging. It's not just that, like, Jacob is a bad guy. Mm-hmm. It's, like, he is not well. Right. And, um, and so I started coming to the realization that, like, um yeah, that it was damaging, and I was a part of like a super harmful community and narrative. And so at that point, I started talking to leaders. Mm-hmm. and I I eventually got to this place where I wrote um, Alan Chambers and the team, and I was like, I can't I can't I can't do this anymore. Yeah. like I can't participate. like And he was like, will you meet up with me in Atlanta?" So I met up with him. For and dinner. Alan
0: Chambers is he was the
1: president of Exodus at that time. Mm-hmm. So when I met up with him I was just like, look, like I'm still super gay. I don't know what I'm going to do with my theology. Like I don't mm. I don't know how to like think about this, but I do know that this is harming my friends mm-hmm. and I can't participate in it any longer. And he looked at me and he said, "I've been hearing similar stories and I'm also coming to terms with the damage that we've caused wow. and I need somebody that's going to tell the truth."
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: And so he was like, will you consider staying around for another year or so and telling people what you just told me? And I was like, you want me to, like, speak at Exodus conferences and tell people I'm gay? Right. And he's like, yeah. And so I didn't want to do that because I just want to be done with it and, like, Mm -hmm. figure my life out. But I was also, like, I felt like I had some sort of responsibility to try to change the system from within and to try to, like, reach parents, you know, who were still trying to figure out what to do with their kids and stuff like that. So, so I started doing that and um, after I wrote, I wrote a blog post for them where I was basically kind of like saying these things and this guy named Michael Bussey reached out to me Mm -hmm. and he, he was actually the original founder of Exodus and he was like, hey, that was incredible. I (sighs) was very shocked to hear somebody from Exodus say they haven't changed and that they like mourn the damage they've caused. And he said, you said in your blog post that you hope to hear stories and meet people, meet survivors, yeah. you know? And he was like, I run a Facebook group with a lot of ex-gay uh, survivors and they would like to engage with you if you're if you're willing. So I'm like, okay. So yeah. I get in this group and there's like 75 survivors who are obviously very understandably, very angry, mm-hmm. um, still trying to deal with the fallout right. of this toxic teaching that destroy their lives and so after like I'm very quickly like I'm not capable I can't like I'm not exodus right I'm still a kid in many ways so I I reach out to Alan Chambers and Randy Thomas the vice president of exodus at that time and I'm like you guys need to get in this group because like you're exodus and like you can do something about this and so then um Lisa Ling who had this mm-hmm. show? She's a journalist. um She has a show on CNN. And at that point, she had one called, like.
0: Isn't it like This Is Life? Or is yeah, that the. Something like yeah. that. I can't remember
1: what it was called. Mm-hmm. Our America, maybe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So she ended up um sort of like doing this sort of. I don't know, filming a little mini session of like me and then Alan Chambers and his wife Leslie with uh, 12 ex gay survivors. Wow. And it was in that circle. On TV, that I remember for the first time. You know, holding that space with them, feeling all of they were sharing, and being like, "That's my story." Yeah, like that's my story. I'm not, I'm not this. I'm that. Right. And like, I,
0: what does this you? mean? Right. Yeah. Like,
1: what does this mean? I like got in my car. So you were how old? Drove at thirty this minutes point? in the wrong direction, crying, wow. couldn't see the road. Like it was. So at that point, I was, I, I was around like twenty five. Okay. Twenty six maybe. And um, and then. somewhere in the next year, I think Exodus ended. Mm -hmm. And so I was just, I was kind of around for all of that in that like weird capacity. Um, and
0: wow. Yeah. That's a lot. That's a lot. That is a whole lot. And I know we're just getting into like, that's just the bullet points of it. You know, there's so much more to your story. How old are you now? I am 34 years old. I was like 10 a great years therapist. ago. <laughs> I was going to say like what's your what's your status now? Like how did that take a toll on you in your adult life? Like in your 30s now, how are you feeling with all of that? Have, has it yeah. I mean at some point it sinks in and you're like, yeah. I can't believe that's my life. I'm going to speak about it. I'm going to write about it. Yeah. Where are you at now with all of it?
1: So, you know, for the last few years, I kind of like stopped talking a whole lot publicly mm-hmm. about All of this because I was like, I need some space to be in a process and I need to see where it goes Mm -hmm. without that pressure of having to be somewhere. Right. And so I gave myself that space and I, during that time, wrote a book, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which will be out someday. And um, it was through writing that book that I like really went back and was like dwelling in that place. And, um, I was a bit of a wreck. Mm -hmm. Like, I was an actual wreck for a long time. Yeah. Um,
0: And I think... And that's... some. Sometimes we don't talk about that publicly because you feel... I mean, myself, I guess, I can only speak for myself, but you don't want people to see that those parts of you, you know, because... I, I've always been like, let me tell the story, the happy ending of it. But I'm yeah. like, these are the parts that, you know, the lows of the lows that I'm like, that's relatable because a lot of us go through that, but we're not having those conversations. We yeah. want people to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Sometimes when you're, when you're in the thick of it, there's not a light at the end of the yeah. tunnel that you can see, you yeah.
1: know? And to be honest, I still, I'm still like, still really sad yeah right like there's still the first three decades of my life almost were kind of a mind fuck right I don't know yeah. like what was all of that like yeah. all of my like formative fundamental developmental years mm-hmm. were in this system that shaped not just like oh, I used to believe this about the book of Romans and now I believe this. It like shaped what I understood, like how I understood what it meant to be a human in the world. Yes. <laughs> and relate to other people. And yeah. um, so I'm still, I think, working through the fallout of that. I, um, I'm, I'm happy in many ways. Right. Um, because I get to be, integrated and free and I live in DC where there's just rainbows everywhere and like you know little gays wear tailored sweatpants and just everything there's so much joy and so much life and happiness I have the most amazing wife Mm -hmm. in the whole world and we're Lowe's lesbian cat moms and like (laughs) you know there's there's so much joy and yet um, there's a lot of trauma Mm -hmm. to reckon with right and I was just talking with some friends the other day where we were like it's okay that we're not healed. Right. It's okay that we don't have a big redemption story around all of it right now Mm -hmm. that we're still just reckoning.
0: Yeah. Right. Like that's enough. Right. That's enough. It's a lot of, um, I mean, you're trying to live your life and work still and, you know, (laughs) go help other people, be a good person, be a good wife, you know, run a business. Right. And But there's all this like underlying stuff that you you almost, if it's like, I don't have time for all of that. (laughs) I wish I could go to therapy every day. Oh my gosh, yeah. Right? (laughs) And I just feel like I'm so busy, but this is like the foundation of me, of who I am. And yeah, I've made it through and I've come out on top, but oh my gosh, 2018, which was fresh, that was like a year and a half ago, Mm -hmm. was one of the lowest points in my life and it's that balance, especially when you have a following and people can see, you know, your work, your voice inside into your life. Um, there was a quote that I've said on this podcast before. I think it was Brene Brown, but speaking from a scar instead of an open wound, Yeah, which I learned very quickly as I was sharing in 2018, like what I was going through in that moment mm. And I'm like, is this going to come back? Like, what's the boundary? What's the, you know, like, is this an overshare? Are people there relating with me? Sure. But what's the right time to share? And I feel like now it is. Like, now I can engage in these conversations and feel like I've made progress enough. Yeah. Where 2018, I wasn't in a place to be sharing because I it just was bad yeah. it was really low it was really sad a lot had happened a lot of loss and grief and going through it by myself even though people would look at it at me and say Steph has so many friends Steph's around people no i isolated myself i was a professional isolator mm-hmm. you know and mm-hmm. when you're running a business you can't just put that on hold so then it's like <laughs> self-medicating while you're trying to you know, just run your life. Yeah. And I think that now it is important for me to initiate these conversations, but also to remind people that there are still days, weeks where I'm not okay. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And do we ever get fully like <laughs> repaired? I don't know. But yeah. the the it's waking up in the morning and saying I wake up with myself and only myself every single day. I yeah. have to live with myself and be happy. And just trying to, to, um, live a good and happy life and, and be proud of myself. I think that's where it was. My, everything was skewed a little bit was like giving God all of the credit for everything that I was instead of, you know, being proud of accomplishments. And I talked about that with another guest and I don't know, I think that we're all in repair. Mm -hmm. And as long as we keep Talking about it, Mm -hmm. uh, we'll get there. Yeah,
1: I can say like I'm able to show up as myself in a way that I just never could before. There was Mm -hmm. so much detachment and so much compartmentalization, and so I think, like you know, the idea of like a healing or redemptive story, meaning like feeling good all the time. Mm -hmm. I do feel good a lot of the time, right? Sometimes I don't, just like we're saying, and yet. I'm healthier yeah i'm able to to be present with people I'm able to be honest with people um I'm integrated, mm-hmm. you know, and so i think it's it's not it's not like all or nothing yeah. right yeah. um it's not like i guess there's not gonna be a fairy tale ending mm-hmm. it's just gonna be um life is more beautiful and it's also sad, right? Sometimes,
0: and because we're human, yeah, we're human. That's what we are. Like, I don't know, just embracing that. That, that was hard for me. That I'm not perfect. Yeah. and I don't have to be perfect because yeah. that's not real life. Yeah, you know. And for people to expect that from anyone mm-hmm. is setting us all up for failure. And I'm just, I'm thankful for you for so many reasons. I mean, you're an incredible friend, but. Just what you've done for our community—it's um, unparalleled. It is mm. so. I just—I remember getting an Exodus International pamphlet from my parents when I came oh. out, and thinking, "Oh my gosh, what is this thing? Like, ew." And to know that I'm sitting here and friends yeah. with someone who helped dismantle that is is massive. Um, but I guess let's end with what I ask everyone is what keeps you up at night? What is something mm. that constantly plays in your brain that just hasn't seemed to go away? Mm. You know,
1: You know, as, I, as I've been writing this book, I'm kind of like in uh, final stages of revisions right now. And I am, I'm writing about my, my experiences with in these evangelical communities and a couple different stages of that, mm-hmm. that are fairly important in terms of this conversation about LGBTQ people in Christian communities. And in writing about that, it involves writing about other real human beings. And I think everybody, most people are doing the best they can. Mm -hmm. And most people have pretty good intentions at least the people in my story, right? Like there's some assholes up there that are like peddling some like horrible things that don't have good intentions. But the people in my story did. And I'm really wrestling with how to write about them in a way that is honest about how harmful so much of it was. Mm -hmm. And also allows them to be complicated people that aren't, you know, and that honors them and that doesn't just yeah nobody's just a victim or a villain right mm-hmm. like we're all really complicated people and there's a big difference between intentions and impact and I want that to come through in writing about them but I'm, i that keeps me up at night of yeah. like how do I how would they tell this story how do they imagine themselves in this story because it's very different than the way I understand mm-hmm. what what they were doing and how they were behaving and Um, but I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I want, I want to represent them in a way that they could identify themselves and feel like they weren't reduced Mm. to a certain type.
0: Yep. That makes sense. That's a lot. That's a huge (laughs) weight though. Yeah. It's a lot. I can see how that could keep you up at night. Yeah. Um, so, how do we find this book when it comes out? Um, how do we find you on social media website? So,
1: I am. I've mainly been on Instagram mm-hmm. for the last like couple of years because it's the most fun, yeah. and I just like share about my cats, and yep. it's great. <laughs> um, so, that's probably my favorite place to connect. I will get back on Twitter once I'm finally done with the book, mm-hmm. and it's just you know. And it's what's really, your handle? It's good. So, those? at Julie underscore Rogers R O D G E R S on all those sites. And I'll put I'll those in the posting, show notes. I'll probably start posting annoyingly about my book as it Perfect. <laughs> is going to come out. So. I can't wait. Thank you so much for oh, being here. I'm what? also fe- um, featured in a documentary oh, that's oh, yeah. coming out soon. When is that? Uh, like this year? It's actually about this. So it's called Pray Away. Oh my and gosh. it'll premiere in a few months. It'll premiere in the spring. Um, and it's about all of this. Like the, the sort of like history and continuation of the movement wow. to pray the gay away. And I... Um, I haven't seen it yet, so that's going to be yeah. a little weird to have like, it out in the world. And yeah, then... <laughs> then, like, not quite sure, like,
0: wow, yeah, that's so a big it's, deal, it's a you've been busy, thing. but yeah,
1: been busy uh, doing that, but I love the team, I really trust the people that are, mm-hmm. um, the directors, the producers, I really trust them, yeah. and I feel like they are going to tell the story really well, right, and... I think that would, anybody who's interested in this conversation will definitely want to see that. And I cannot wait to see that. Yeah, I think it'll be really cool. I'm so, so. happy to so, know you. Yeah. I'm so
0: proud of you. You're killing it. And thanks for visiting me in my hotel room. Oh, so fun. <laughs> and um, yeah, look forward to Julie's story. And let's sign up now. Cool. Let's go shoot some photos. Let's do it. Okay, bye. Well, hey. Thanks for overthinking with Steph. Can't wait to hear from you on the Soch, so make your way over to at Steph's podcast on Twitter and tell me your thoughts. Catch the breakdown on Patreon where we get into the nitty gritty and overthink the conversations in this episode. Until next time, keep creating scenarios that will never actually happen and live your one damn life. Don't you hate it when you wake up first thing in the morning? Mind is stirring. It's a you no want thing it was